Alaska's newsmakers. Action Line KINY. Hello, everybody. You are listening to Action Line, provided through uh, KNY. I am your host, Jordan Lewis. And joining me in the studio today, I have Dan Robinson and Don Krieger with the Department of Labor and Workforce Development here to talk with me about the Trends Magazine. How are you both doing today? Good. I do. Good. Good, good. So I see you now. I give you a chance to look through a, a little bit, and I'm very intrigued by the primary topic of this month's magazine, which is looking at what the non-resident kind of influences and various kind of economic factors. And I think, uh, Dan, we wanted to start with, not Dan, Dan, we want to start with yours. Oh, it's, it's Rob, George. Rob, I'm so sorry. That's I'm, okay. I'm very tired today. I gotcha. <laughs> My apologies, Rob. So, Rob, let's start with your article, because I was looking at it a little bit. Maybe just kind of give me a bit of an overview of what you were looking at there. Sure. Well, we've been doing this sort of like look at worker residency and department research and analysis going back to probably the late 80s. And it's always been a, a subject of interest for Alaskans. Um, the research started during pipeline or as a result of pipeline construction and there was a, um, a desire to make sure that Alaskans were equipped for high paying jobs in the industry. So we started looking at capturing worker residency statistics um, and we've been producing a, an annual report on that subject every year. Um, this year's report just got published, but we, we kind of took it a step further this year to kind of look at what role non-resident workers are playing in the recovery post-pandemic. Um, and you know, historically, about 20% of Alaska's workforce is non-resident when you look at all industries combined. That percentage varies quite a bit by industry and occupation and part of the state. Um, but what we're seeing in, in some of the hardest industries that were hardest hit by the pandemic, particularly visitor-related and seafood processing, some pretty unusual things. Um, visitor-related, um, since the pandemic, was most visitor-related industries, I guess, were completely shut down in 2020 as a result of you know, cruise ship season, uh, restrictions on bars and restaurants, lots of closures. Um, we didn't really have, we had no tourism season in 2020. 2021, we started to bounce back a little bit. And with that, we saw non-residents coming back to the workforce to a greater degree than residents, which is not surprising because most of the the job loss or the worker losses during the pandemic were in you know, were non-residents. Um, but what we're seeing now is in, in the years since the pandemic, 21, 22, <clears throat> um, residents and non-residents are both coming back to visitor-related industries, but. Um, non-residents are coming back to a greater extent. And this suggests that um, there's a, a demand for workers. Um, some residents are coming back to the industry, but um, a lot of that demand is, is going to come from non-residents in that particular industry. Okay, now Rob, I've, I've actually got it pulled up in front of me here now so I can have a, actually be able to see the data mm -hmm. with me here. And I think it's interesting that you noted, you know, the one of these graphs, you're looking at really the share between, you know, how many of these jobs, even in every sector, are resident and non-resident. You're talking about how, obviously, the non-resident share is going to go down during the pandemic, which makes sense. Nobody's going to be up here, especially because a lot of those jobs are within the tourism industry. Now, I also think it's interesting, the big one here for me is within the seafood processing industry, because I know non-residents make up a very large portion of that industry. So talk to me a bit about that area. Sure. So non, so seafood processing industry has the highest percentage of non-resident workers and to the tune of between 75 and 80%. Um, that's been the case for, for as long as we can track data back in that, in that range. It's always had the highest percentage of non-resident workers. Um, and like visitor-related industries, it's one of the hardest hit during the pandemic because their operations changed significantly. 
but unlike visitor-related, which was completely shut down for the most part, um, or visitor-related industries, I should clarify, we don't have um, visitor-related industries as a grouping of industries, which includes leisure and hospitality, bars and restaurants, accommodation, um, and a bunch of other things. We just kind of lump them all in one to, to kind of make it easier, digestible. But um, but unlike many of the industries within visitor-related, seafood processing was actually able to to sort of maintain operations to a certain degree in 2020. Um, but what's different post-pandemic is that um, even though residents represent a small percentage of the workers in the industry, fewer than fewer are coming back. In other words, there's there's fewer non there's fewer resident workers in seafood processing than there were prior to the pandemic, and although there was a little bit of an increase in non-residents the year after the pandemic, both resident and non-resident workers are down in 2022, which is the most recent data we have available, which would be a sign of, of something. It, it's kind of hard to characterize what's happening in seafood processing other than to say it's in a transition. Um, pandemic aside, there's been, you know, the poor runs in certain parts of the state, fish or prices for fish have been down. Um, you've got plant closures and um, in some cases you have facilities using more automation, which may require fewer workers in general. So there's a lot happening in seafood processing that may not require the level of workers that there once was. Gotcha. And it almost makes me wonder if there's other, some other larger external factors that play a role within the seafood processing area beyond just, you know, transitions within the industry, maybe issues affecting the industry as a whole, you know, difficulty, like hard seasons with getting seafood in the first place, mm-hmm. thus there's going to be less to do when it comes to the processing angle of it. So it'll, I think it's interesting. I don't know if, I mean, I don't think you had too much time to maybe look at some of those factors. I mean, mm-hmm. if you have, please, you know, cut me off and talk about that. <laughs> well, this was kind of more of, we, this was kind of, this article was kind of meant to look at things at fairly high level, and there's obviously lots of things that, that impact the industry, not just things that I talked about, but I think it's also possible um, when you look at the resident component of the seafood processing workforce, when you have such so many job opportunities elsewhere in other industries, um, it may there may be some resident workers transitioning from seafood processing into other things that may be less seasonal or less um, require more um, of an intense um, you know season, I guess, where you can make the same money without having to be in a remote location or um, um, working as much or, or you know, it, it seems to be kind of an, a, a simple um, decision, I guess, to make. Okay. Now, the next one I want to hit here, plus it also happens to be the data I have in front of me here, is talking about it in the sense of healthcare. Mm-hmm. Now, this was one that it doesn't surprise me that there's a large share that is non resident there. That is largely. And you can note it as conjecture, because in a scientific capacity, I would note it as conjecture. Growing up, my mm-hmm. mother works for an extended care facility in Anchorage, and a lot of the staff there is non is non resident originally. Mm-hmm. And so, how is it? How is that fluctuated? So, when you look at healthcare industry and, and broadly, um, it's from a workforce development perspective. It, I guess you can consider it to be a positive story. Prior to the pandemic, um, the, the industry had kind of all the it checked all the boxes for 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 kind of. Um, things growing in the right way. Um, you had increases in both resident and non-resident workers, but resident workers were increasing um, more, and the percentage of non-resident workers was decreasing at the same time. So this would suggest that you have an industry that's growing. It needs resident and non-resident workers, but um, whether it's uh, increased training capacity or just a, a, a shift in the workforce, um, the um, 
the, the industry in general is less reliant upon non-residents and um, more residents can, can fill the jobs that were probably historically held by non-residents. So that was happening up to 2020. And then the pandemic hit and what we've seen since has been kind of something we haven't seen in that industry where resident workers are down in 21 and 22 while the percentage and number of non-resident workers has increased significantly. So something has changed in healthcare industry where there are fewer resident workers and there has been an even more a heavier reliance upon non-residents. And demand in the industry will continue. So it'll be an interesting, um, I guess, um, thing to look at as you go forward, whether that's gonna continue to be the case. Um, I, whether you know why residents are leaving the industry um, after the pandemic it could be there could be burnout from the industry people could be retiring people could be leaving the state um, any of those things are probably playing a role gotcha and I was going to say along that same front it's also possible that, you know the sort of the opportunity for sort of career development and training may not be present and so then that could potentially lead to folks coming in from out of the state because the resources to get that training may just not be there but again, that is purely conjecture on my part because I'm not in all these places. <laughs> that that could certainly be a role too. I mean, if there's you know if there's not training capacity and you have people who want to work in these occupations and industries, um, it, it's going to potentially stifle growth um, amongst your resident population because there's just nowhere for them to get the training to do the job. Definitely. Now, I see this one section of your article, which is talking about Denali and Skagway and how that's another way to kind of look at these patterns. Break that down for me. Well, they were two of the hardest, you know, we talked about visitor-related industries, and um, Denali and Skagway are very seasonal, um, have very, um, you know, with Denali, the National Park, and with Skagway, cruise ship passengers, you know, both of those things were effectively shut down in 2020, so they were amongst the hardest hit areas, and um, with things picking up back in the cruise ship industry, we hit records in 23, and we're projected to hit um, another, actually, I don't know if, Dan, do you know if we're projected to hit a record again in 24 or is it about the same? Just slightly above. Yeah, so another record, but just barely. Just barely. And so you have that coming back, roaring back, um, bringing Skagway back off of its its lows. And then you had Denali kind of open the floodgates and more people showing up. So it's just been kind of a an extreme example of um, how the pandemic impacted these two areas and then how it's starting to come back. Gotcha. Okay. Well, on that note, Rob, I think I'm going to transition to Dan now and talk a bit about Dan's article. Unless you want me to call you Don again, right? <laughs> <laughs> It's got a nice ring to it, huh? <laughs> well, on that note, uh, so Dan, looking at yours, which is also really focusing still on that you know, non-resident sort of worker base, I see here you kind of have it broken down by industry type, and I see the largest one is really within that seafood manufacturing area with about being about 21% of those jobs. And so, kind of, what led to this, this sort of breakdown of how this was spread out? Yeah, and, and just explaining a little bit, Rob touched on this, but why we do this. Alaska has um, natural resources that the world wants and needs. And so, and we're also, we've always been a relatively small population. So, uh, there's been concern that Alaskans... Uh, the, the state government and the people who live here extract maximum benefit from those resources. So that's one of the reasons we do this report, one of the reasons the statute was written that required us to do this report, to, to just kind of keep an eye on how much people who live out of state are, are uh, being 
taking home wages that they earned in Alaska, and, and if possible, if we can get those jobs going to Alaskans. It, leading into that, I mean, there, there are a couple of very specific reasons why uh, jobs go to non-residents. And to your, to your question about seafood processing, it's very seasonal work um, in areas that quite often don't have a lot of local population. So it's, the salmon runs are massive and the populations in uh, uh, Aleutians and the, the parts of the state where they're the biggest, they aren't very big. So it's going to have to be imported labor to manage that. And, it, and it's seasonal. And that's a little bit true of, of oil and gas too. But the, other, the other thing we talk about in the article and in the report uh, every time we've done it in recent years is remote work sites. So you think of uh, mining and oil and gas in particular, they're remote work sites. Quite often they're extended shifts, so two weeks on, two weeks off, for example. So you're going to have a long, a long commute home no matter where you go, whether it's from North Slope to Kenai or North Slope to Bend, Oregon. So those, those two things, seasonality and remote work sites, are, are the, the kind of short answer to why we have non-resident employment in high percentages in any of our industries, seafood processing being a, a really specific example. Gotcha. And I'm glad you touched on, you know, with the, the with the go, what goes on on the slope, that's a very perfect example of that. It is going to have a pretty solid non-resident base. I know I have family that works up there that it both are some folks that live in state and there's a good chunk that don't live in the state and they all still work up there. So I think that's also a very important example to keep in mind. And the the seasonality of it, you know, they don't typically work here all the time. You know, residents, you know, that's looking at the, the chart you have here, it's about 71% of them are here, you know, all year round. But then with non-resident, each one is like about here, maybe a quarter of the time. Yeah, the, the and, and this report categorizes people, if you work in the state at all, we count you. So, uh, and the chart that you're talking about, it's a nice pie chart that shows that uh, Alaska residents tend to work, the majority of them work all four quarters of the year. Most of us have to work all four quarters of the year. Uh, but but non-residents, mostly because of things like seafood processing and tourism, it's a part of the year. And Skagway and Denali that, that you talked about before with Rob are good examples, just big economic activity over a short period of time and very small local populations. So you're, you're, you're again, going to need to import workers from somewhere um, for, for those, for the part of the year that we have cruise ship tourism in particular. Gotcha. Now the graph you also have here that very much has my attention is the sorts of jobs that then lead the, those non-residents to them to become residents later on. And I see the biggest one there is finance and insurance. So why, why have that one kind of stand out? Yeah. And the broad point there is that this, this criteria for residency, permanent fund dividend, that um, you qualify for the permanent fund dividend is, is rigid that you have to live here for a full calendar year. So a lot of the people that are originally classified as non-residents are really probably just new residents. They've moved here, but they haven't yet lived here long enough to become a resident. So to, to kind of quantify that, we look at the ones who eventually become residents. And, and what that says more than anything, I think, is just that, and local government is the second highest, that those are just the places that hire um, new residents and then at the other end of the spectrum, you have things like seafood processing and oil and gas, where they're more true non-residents, people who year after year come to Alaska, work seasonally, don't ever live here. So finance and insurance, that means bankers and the people who work in those industries, they're just hiring new residents, they'll eventually become residents. 
Okay. That gives it a lot more context. I was going to say, with the jobs we've talked about, that doesn't line up for me visually. Being like, yeah, the person who's come up here to work on the slope is now just a permanent resident. Like, typically... It's not how that kind of goes through my brain unless it's someone who already lives here. So how you break it down like that definitely makes it make more sense. And it's even easier to see with local government. Local governments just don't hire a lot of true non-residents, but they do hire new people to the, to the community, to the state. Definitely. And then you also talked about, you know, the remote work sites and maybe break down more about how big of a role that that really plays. Yeah, it just, I think the main point, both because the shifts are such that you work an intense period, isolated work sites, and that's, think of, think of minds, not all of our minds, but, but several of our minds, you have to travel somewhere remote to work there. So you work there for a few weeks, and then you have a few weeks off. That's very different from the nine to five commute where, you're, where you kind of need to live in your community. These, because of their work schedules, and also those jobs pay a lot. So you're, you're going to have a long flight or a long boat ride in some cases, or uh, mostly one of those two, home. And, and if, you, if you're tired of the cold and the wet, you might choose to live in San Diego or, or Texas or wherever. So there's a freedom to live wherever because of that remote work site, that, that work schedule, and the high wages. That, that most of us office workers don't have. And, and some of them choose Alaska and some of them don't choose Alaska. Gotcha. I was going to say, you all got to remind me about low wages at an office job. <laughs> I'm also a journalist, so that, that makes it even more so. But we're living the dream. <laughs> we, we are doing our best. That's, That's what right. we got to do. Now, I also see you took time to note the, that Matt Sue had the lowest concentration of those non-resident workers in terms of, like, by area, which I think is interesting, but also I don't think it's very surprising. <laughs> yeah, Matt Sue's interesting, and the opposite end of the extreme is Southwest. Matt Sue, uh, keep in mind that this is where people are working, and a lot of people who live in Matt Sue work in Anchorage. Uh, so... The, and Matsu's population has been growing. So most of the types of work that, that exist in Matsu are the types we're talking about. It's regular nine to five stuff. It's hospitals and local government and retail and, and, and construction uh, with all that growth. But they're just primarily not the types of jobs that, that, that we need non-residents to fill. And then they have a population of a size that allows the local population to fill most of them. Definitely. And to reminisce on my childhood of growing up in Anchorage, I was like, oh, yeah, it's all the people who work in those high level, high paying executive jobs live in Matsu and then come into Anchorage because they don't want to actually be in Anchorage. <laughs> yeah, I haven't heard that. But we talk often about housing, that the, ha the type of housing you can get in Matsu is different for the price than what you can get in Anchorage. And that leads to Alaska's really only true commute situation where you drive a fair distance every day from one community to another. You choose to live one, you work in the other, and you commute. Yeah. The the whole of that is, it was either they always lived out in Matsu and then came in, or they lived out on the hillside, the mountain areas, kind of around uh, Anchorage's yeah, Bowl. Interesting. Well, and in New York City, it's Connecticut or, you know, the, the neighboring. Yes, yeah, uh, the whole neighboring state. You're right. like, I'm not even in the area. I'm that's the right. whole place else. Yeah. Definitely. Now, the last one I really wanted to bring up here, looking at, you know, some of the graphs, some of the charts here, I also see that for, we're looking at the, let's see here, about private sector kind of work. I see petroleum engineer, so oil and gas, that makes 
makes about sense that's toward the high end of this chart. We also have things like, you know, project managers, nurse practitioners, lawyers. Again, a lot of these seem on the surface level like they'd be some things that people would stay around for, but not always. So, like, with the lawyer one, like, you'd think you'd have a local lawyer, but I can see why you would have a non-resident one as well. Well, lawyers are interesting because they actually have a fairly low percentage of non-residents. So they, they are, your, your, your intuition is correct. It's kind of interesting to me. So just to give some details, 10% of the 471 people who worked, in, uh, worked as lawyers in 2022, only 10% are non-residents. At, at the other end of the spectrum is doctors. Doctors in this physicians, all others category, 33% of them were non-residents. So, uh, and we talk a little bit about that in this article. What what are the important characteristics that make uh, a fairly low percentage of lawyers residents and make a fairly high percentage of doctors uh, non-residents? I said that backwards, but a higher percentage of non-residents working as doctors than lawyers. Hmm, that is an interesting one. Now. I think, I think we will wrap it up about there, but unless there's anything else that you, Dan, or Rob wanted to add before we wrap this up. I, to the extent you're interested, this report and this article, these articles, this issue of trends, uh, there's just a lot of, to the extent you're interested, please go look at the report. A lot of, I think, fun economic uh, detail. Oh, de- no, it's definitely an interesting one because I was giving it a read before the show and I'm glad I was able to get it pulled up again as we were talking so I could re-reference those numbers. But is there anything else that you wanted to add, Rob? I don't think so. Yeah, it was um, I, I, fun article to write. Lots good. I think we're going to, this topic of where the recovery is coming from and, and it's, there's a lot to, to kind of dig into on this, not just by industry, but by place and by occupation. So we'll probably have more on this coming up. All right. Well, I look forward to it. Dan and Rob, thank you both for coming in today and taking the time to chat with me. And I'll see you guys again next time. Thanks, Thanks Jordan. Jordan. It's a pleasure. All right. You've been listening to Action Line on KINY. Action Line. Weekday mornings. Action Line. If it happens in Southeast, you'll hear it on Action Line. KINY.